Christmas season has officially begun. Uh, just by, by round of applause, who is of the opinion that Christmas season begins after Thanksgiving? Yes, okay, I appreciate you. Uh, those that think it starts on like November 1st. So that latter group, we love you, we accept you, we forgive you, uh, but in my household, Christmas starts after Thanksgiving. So Black Friday for us really is the, the launch into the Christmas season, and uh, we had a bit of a, a rocky start. Uh, my wife, she works, uh, she does visual merchandising for a store called Anthropology. So she had to work on Black Friday and had to go in early. So it was just me and the kids. And I thought, oh, you know, I'll take the kids to go get donuts, go to Duck Donuts. And so we go out to the car and get the baby in, and then uh, the car won't start. I'm like, oh, no. And so we push it out and try to jump in and went and push it back. And as we're pushing it back, I throw my back out. I didn't notice it right away, but like 10 minutes later, I'm like, oh, and then like an hour later, like I couldn't even pick up the baby. It was real bad. Uh, and so I was, this is like 10.30 in the morning. I'm like, I'm not even going to tell Lindsay until she get home, gets home. Uh, but like two hours later, I get a call from Lindsay, and she's in an ambulance going to the hospital because while she was at work, she was on her breaks, and she's at Starbucks, and she just fainted like out of nowhere, fell to the ground, hit her head on the ground, got like a very minor concussion. She's in the hospital for like two days while they're running all these tests. Good news is... She's fine. She's doing great. There's nothing serious. Yes, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, she's nothing serious. She's a combination of like minor little things. And so she's, she's doing awesome. Uh, and thank you to like all of you that kind of snapped in and like took care of the kids and helped us out through that. That was amazing. But, uh, but yes, she was recounting the story to me. Uh, we couldn't both, uh, help but both be a little bit amused because she, uh, working at Anthropology, they encouraged the employees to kind of dress in like a festive way for work that day. So she pulled out her ugly Christmas sweater from last year's ugly Christmas sweater Sunday. And it's this like homemade Mary bright shirt and so she's working in this all day she goes on break she goes to starbucks she's still wearing her merry and bright sweatshirt and then she passes out so we just had this image in our minds of her like sprawled out on the ground in the mall in the entrance of starbucks like christmas music in the background shoppers stepping over her uh it was a real christmas mess or as we like to say for the series a christmas uh <laughs> Which is very appropriate because we're launching this series today talking about Christmases. And Christmas is an awesome time of year. There's just kind of this something in the air. There's like a, a nostalgia to it. And there's this, this hopefulness. And, and it smells good, right? Christmas is like the best smelling holiday, uh, in my opinion. You got like the pine and the cookies and all of that. There's just something in the air. And we want Christmas to be magical. We want that experience to kind of feel special. But the reality is often a little bit messier than what we're hoping for, what we're longing for. And sometimes that mess is completely unexpected, like, you know, fainting and throwing at your back and doing all that stuff. Uh, other times, the mess that we're going to walk into on Christmas is totally expected. And you guys know what I'm talking about because some of you are already feeling a little bit of, like, the angst of, like, going to Christmas dinner or going to see so-and-so on Christmas, and you feel that angst because you're coming right off of Thanksgiving where you were just with your family, right? And you know that what you experienced last week is very likely to happen again three weeks from now. So three, week, three and a half weeks from now when we uh, get to Christmas Day. And I, I think one of the most, most profound Christmases that we deal with is the family drama that comes with Christmas. And... 
for you, you know, maybe you have a sibling that you just never got along with, so you're like, as soon as you're in the same room, it's just awkward. For your others, maybe, you, you know, you have a mother-in-law that loves to tell you how all the ways that you're failing her son and her grandchildren, and she just takes every opportunity to do that. Or maybe you have that family member who, no matter what you're talking about, knows how to make it political in the most obnoxious way, and it's just there all the time. And, you know, for some of you, maybe, maybe it's, you know, not out there. It's kind of like in the immediate family, and it's just your kids. They're in the stage of life where they're driving you crazy, and you know that they're not going to appreciate all the hard work that you're going to put into it, and you're going to give them gifts, and they're not going to say thank you. They're going to complain about not getting the right breakfast or something, and, you know, you just know you're walking into a situation that isn't going to be as nice and neat and pristine as you, you really hope and long for. It's a, a family Christmas that is, is almost expected in many of your situations. And, and maybe for some of you, it's like really acute. Like there's, there's been some hurt and betrayal and trauma and like stuff in your family. So you're like walking into something big. For others, maybe it's not so acute. Like it's not like really a mess, but you just being in the same room, they're just kind of annoying and you feel it a little bit. So maybe it's not so much of a Christmas as like a, a Christmas. It's like... Christmas isn't magical, it's just kind of meh, so you're kind of like, you know, it's just going to be like Christmas this year. And, and here's the, the worst part, we can't control these other people, uh, and like we can't just make them behave the way that we want to ensure that our Christmas is going to be pristine and picturesque and perfect. Like, we, we can't control those other people. So we're, we're kind of left with the option of either, uh, you know, like doing Christmas with the family and enduring the mess or doing Christmas absolutely alone, which doesn't sound great either unless you're one of the introverts in the room. You're like, is that actually an option? Can I just, like, go and be oh, totally alone? Uh, but for most of us, it's either the mess or that, that feeling of loneliness, and it kind of feels like a lose-lose situation that we're walking into, uh, but, but what if it didn't have to be? What if this, this family drama, this family tension, this family Christmas that we're walking into, it doesn't have to be a lose-lose situation? What if it's something that we can step into, hopefully? What if it's something that we could step into, not just to endure the mess, but to, to see it actually turned into something good and beautiful? Because the Apostle Paul, he gives this advice to the church in Ephesus that I, I think can really help us step into a family Christmas and experience something beautiful. Not just something that we can get by with, but something good, something great even. So the Apostle Paul, he, he's talking to this, this church in Ephesus. And we're going to be in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. But just to give you a little context, in the church in Ephesus, there were these two groups. There was the, the Gentiles and there were the Jews. And prior to meeting Jesus, those two groups had nothing in common. In fact, a couple chapel, chapters earlier in Ephesians, Paul describes the tension. He describes the rift between these two groups. And he calls it the dividing wall of hostility. Some of you are thinking like, oh, that is a great way to, to describe my di din uh, dinner table during Christmas dinner. It's the di dividing wall of hostility because you're on one side and so-and-so is on the other side and it's a dividing wall of hostility. But here's two groups of people that were so, there's so much tension. It could be called the dividing wall of hostility. And now they're being brought together to be a spiritual family. And Paul gives them this advice to navigate that tension in a way that actually brings something beautiful. Not just to get by, but something Something delightful. And here's how he starts. He says, in your anger, do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and don't give the devil a foothold. I love the apostle Paul because he's super practical. He's super practical. He, he assumes the anger is going to be there. He like, he's going out. He's not going to say like, if you get angry, he's like, no, no, no. When you get angry, when you get, and, and some of you might be like, oh, I don't know if, I don't know if I have an anger problem. I don't know if I'm like going into my family Christmas with anger at all. And just, just so you know, this word that's translated anger here, it doesn't have to be like anger, like rage. It, it can actually be translated simply as like annoyance or even agitated as one, one commentator put it, agitated, right? And so maybe you don't get angry, but like when your mother-in-law criticizes you, Paul expects you're going to get agitated, right? Or when, when, you know, your sibling is pushing your buttons and they know how to do it in ways that nobody else does, he expects you're going to get agitated, right? Or when your, your father-in-law says something just, oh, so stupid and offensive right in front of your kids, he expects that you're going to get agitated. And notice how he separates the anger from the sin. He says, you can be angry, but don't sin. So he's not saying this, this agitation is itself sinful, although it can be. Like if you're the type of person that's agitated all the time, you should look into that. Uh, but he's saying there is, a, there is a version of agitation where you just kind of get triggered in that way and you, you're, you're not necessarily in sin yet. So it's not that the agitation is sin, but it's sin adjacent. <laughs> like sin is real close behind to this agitation. He says if you, you let it fester, sin is going to swoop right in. So he, he gives this encouragement. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Deal with it quickly. Don't even let the sun go down. Don't let that agitation follow you into the next day even. And for some of you, this might be like all you need to hear today because right now you're preparing to go into your Christmas and you're still holding on to the agitation from last week Thanksgiving meal, right? You didn't just let it go into the next day. It's following you into the next week and month. For some of you, maybe it was actually last Christmas is agitation. You're still holding on to that and that is going to follow you into this next year. Maybe it was something that happened like 10 years ago. You're not just letting that agitation follow you into the next day. You're letting it follow you into the next decade. And he's saying, no, 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 don't even, don't even let the sun go down while you're still angry. But I want to point out something. You notice here, in your anger, you're not sin. There's quotation marks around that, right? Paul is actually quoting something else at this moment. He's quoting Psalm 4. And this is important because when, when I hear this, like, don't let the sun go down while you're angry, this is a popular bit of advice. Even out in the world, you hear people say, like, don't go to bed angry. I don't know if you know, that came from the Apostle Paul. Like, that is, he started with him. Yay, Paul. Uh, and that's a kind of popular thing. They talk about it in, like, marriage stuff a lot. Like, don't let the sun go down where you're angry. Don't go to bed angry. And, like, that's really good advice. But often when I hear it talked about, and as I've experienced it, people are saying, all right, so what you need to do is if there's an issue, all right, that's causing you anger, what you need to do is you need to hash out that issue with the other person. You need to deal with it before you go to bed, all right? So take this issue out and, and kind of externally hash it out with the other person who's causing you grief or annoying you in this, this moment, right? And it's kind of an, an external thing. But look at, I want you to look at Psalm 4 because this is what Paul is quoting. And so this is what Paul has in mind. He says, be angry and do not sin. So this is the part that he's quoting. I know it reads different, different languages, but this is the part that he's quoting. Be angry and do not sin. He says, ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. In your own heart, on your bed and be silent. Do you think Paul is, is thinking when he says, don't let the sun go down while you're angry, he, that he's thinking you need to externally process this anger with someone else? 
No, he's actually thinking that this anger is something that needs to be processed and dealt with internally. That it's actually not about the other person, that, that you need to do some internal work to process and deal with this agitation. And it's not saying that hashing out issues with other, I'm not saying that we don't hash out issues with other people. Issues, issues, especially interpersonal issues, might need to be hashed out externally. Anger needs to be dealt with internally. All right, and even if you do need to hash out issues externally, first deal with the anger internally. Because if you're gonna bring that anger into dealing with the issue, you're gonna have a lot more difficulty dealing with that issue. Also, a freebie. If there is an issue that needs to be hashed out, Christmas Day is probably not the day to do it. <laughs> but think about it. Think about it. If, if the anger is something that needs to be processed externally, like if you're saying, like, I'll, I'll stop being agitated when they stop doing things that agitate me. Or I'll stop being agitated when they apologize. Or I'll stop being agitated when they fix all the things that they've messed up. If, you're, if we're saying that any part of our dealing with our anger and agitation is, is contingent on them doing anything, what we're saying is that they are in control of my anger. That they control my anger. That my emotional well-being is in their hands. And how in the world could we possibly try to dispel our anger before the sun sets if it's not in our control, like if it's in their hands? Because we can't control other people. Not yet, at least. I heard there's a microchip that we might be able to get in our brains and then we're getting close there. If anybody else figures out how to control the other people in your life, let me know. Uh, but, but we can't control other people. And so if we're going to actually have any chance of dispelling this, this anger, this agitation before the sun sets, it's not going to be because we dealt with the issue. The issue might persist. But the agitation doesn't. That's something that we can deal with internally. And look at, look at the warning that he gives. He says, to, don't sin, don't let the sun go down where you're angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He's saying holding on to that agitation and that anger is like giving the devil a foothold. A foothold. The literal word here is just a place. When it says a foothold, it's actually just giving him a place. It's like giving him a seat at the table for Christmas dinner. So if you're gonna, if you have anger or agitation that you're holding on to and you're letting that fester in your heart right now, it's like you sending out an invitation for Satan to show up to Christmas dinner. And some of you are like, I already did invite my stepdad. No, I'm not talking about that person that you think is Satan. I'm talking about the literal devil, he's saying. The literal devil is be being given a seat at the table, an invitation into Christmas when you are willing to hold on to that anger and agitation. I've heard people use this idea of like giving the devil a foothold a lot. And uh, a lot of times when I hear people do it, they often talk about like, uh, kind of tampering with spiritual things. Like, uh, you know, like, don't use a Ouija board because you're going to give the devil a foothold. Like, you're giving him a space to enter into your life. And I'm not advocating that you use a Ouija board. Uh, but that's not what the Bible says is going to give him a foothold. The Bible says your, your anger, your agitation is going to give him a foothold. And if you're willing to hold on to that, that anger and that bitterness, that agitation going into Christmas, then it's as good as you sitting down at Christmas dinner and after everyone's fed saying, hey guys, I got this new game, it's called Ouija, you wanna play it? <laughs> like you would never dream of doing that. And yet, yet your, your anger, your agitation is gonna give the devil a foothold. And we see this, you, get, you guys know this, because anger, it's so contagious. It can take a small mess and it just, it spreads it around, right? You're, you're frustrated because your, your dad 
made some political comment and he just did it again for the fourth time. You're, you're holding on to that agitation. And the next thing you know, you're starting to get agitated with your kids. Not because of anything they did, but because of something that he did. And that, that anger, it starts to like bleed into other areas. Or your, your brother who's like super condescending says something to you and it bothers you. And now you're, you're upset with your wife. Like that agitation bleeds over into that other relationship, right? It, it, that's the way anger and agitation works. It bleeds out from this mess. It reminds me of my, uh, some, I have a six-month-old, Simon. He's just learning how to eat solid foods. And I promise you, I promise you, we only put food in his mouth. So the, sp- the spoon goes into the bowl, goes into his mouth. We don't put food anywhere else. And yet, when he's done, there is food everywhere else. <laughs> he will take that food out of his mouth and he will rub it on his face and in his hair and on his arms. He's like bathing himself with it. It gets on his toes because he likes to eat his toes. And he just takes that little mess and he just spreads it everywhere, right? And this is, this is what anger does. This is what anger does, this agitation. It actually takes a mess and it just starts spreading it all around and it's pushing it to all of these other places and these other recesses and every relationship starts to be affected by that anger and agitation. You might feel like, man, how did that happen? How did this all kind of like get away from me? Well, it turns out the devil loves your anger and he is going to use that. He loves your anger. He loves your agitation. In fact, the, the devil, that name devil, it means the divider. He loves to take that agitation and use it to drive a wedge between you and every other person around you. He loves that. So he's saying, no, this is, this is so serious. We can't hold on to this. We've got to let go of this. And then he gives us a, a couple of practical tips for how to, to do this in actuality. The first one, watch your mouth. Uh, a couple of verses later, Ephesians 4 29, he says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Unwholesome talk, I don't know what comes to mind for you when you think of unwholesome talk. Maybe uh, like profanities, or as my wife would say, cussing, because she's from like the Southwest, cussing. Uh, 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 Some of you might think of that. Some of you might think of like crude jokes or whatever, but we actually can see what he means by how how he contrasts it. So he says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. So if wholesome talk is the kind of talk that builds people up and benefits them, unwholesome talk is the kind of talk that tears people down and it hurts them and it harms them and it, it de- destru- destroys and divides and dis- destructs things, right? So that's the kind of unwholesome talk that he's, he's referring to here. Anything that is going to, to tear people down, it's gonna divide, it's gonna destroy, that's the kind of unwholesome talk. He says, Get rid of it all. Get rid of it all. And instead, uh, he says, bring only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Now, Paul is very thorough. He recognizes that there's two audiences, two audiences for uh, whatever you want to talk about when you're agitated. There's the audience member who is the, the person that grieved you, the offender, that agitator, right? That's one audience member. And then there are, Everybody else that's in the room at the time. And for that first person, the agitator, he says, for them, only, only say to them what is helpful for building them up according to their needs. This, this part's really important, according to their needs. Because I have a lot of things that I want to say to build people up according to my needs. <laughs> I have a lot of ideas in my head how I can build you up and shape you into the perfect person to meet my needs. But that's not what he says. Build them up according to their needs. So what, what do they need? 
Why are they saying that thing that they know offends you? Is it because they want to hurt you? Is that the need they're trying to fill? Probably not. What is the need that they're trying to fill? Do you know? Are they trying to be annoying? Like, are your kids trying to just annoy you to death? Is that like some need that they woke up that morning and be like, man, I am hungry, I'm thirsty, I need to go to the bathroom, and I need to be annoying to my parents today. Is that like a need that they're feeling? No, that's not why. That's not the, the need that's being, what is the need? And how do we speak into that? But then there's this, this other audience as well, which is all the other onlookers, everybody else around, not the people that offended you, but the other people that get to see all of this interaction. And for them, he says, only what's going to benefit them. And I promise you, it's not going to benefit your children if you're driving to Christmas dinner, all right, and you're going to your in-laws, and the whole drive there, you're complaining to your spouse about how annoying your in-laws are. That's not going to benefit your kids, right? Don't be surprised when those kids grow up and they complain and, you know, rant about you when they're driving to your house for Christmas dinner because that's what they saw in you, right? Or it's not going to be beneficial with your siblings if, you know, you guys kind of group together and just talk about how annoying your parents are or gang up on one sibling and kind of talk about That's not going to benefit anyone there. No. What's going to benefit them is, and you guys know this, the things that annoy you about other people probably annoy everybody else in the room. So you pointing it out, that's not, that's not helpful. But you stepping in and kind of giving another narrative, you coming in and praising them, advocating about the things that are good for them, that's going to build up these other people. That's going to help them be, have a, a better relationship with those people in your, your life and your family that maybe are not the easiest to love. Right? This is his first bit of advice is just watch your mouth. Don't let this unwholesome talk come out, but only what's going to build up people according to their needs. And it's going to benefit the others that get to listen along the way. The second thing, he wants us to bring the right tools. Bring the right tools. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. So just in case you weren't sure, he wants you to get rid of all of it. So you're like, well, can I, can I just kind of keep that low-level bitter? Nope, get rid of the low-level bitterness. The rage, obviously, that one's out. The anger's out. Fighting, yes, let's get rid of that. The slander, the talking, you know, behind their back to other people. Yep, get rid of that. Every form of malice or hostility or whatever that you feel toward them, get rid of all of it. And instead, bring these tools. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as Christ just in, as in Christ, God forgave you. These are the tools he's saying to bring to your Christmas. Be kind, compassionate, forgiving. Now, kindness, kindness is easy because kindness, you can be kind to anybody. Like we, we talk about random acts of kindness. You can just be randomly kind to strangers like that. You can do anywhere. But compassion and forgiveness are a little different because compassion and forgiveness, they need something. Like, in order to be compassionate to somebody, that person has to have a need. There needs to be a lack. There needs to be some sort of hurt, something that you're going to step into, and you're going to provide resources into their need, right? And then, and then forgiveness. Forgiveness, you can't just go around forgiving people, right? In order to forgive somebody, you, that person has to do something to, to hurt you, to offend you. You actually can't bring forgiveness into any particular moment unless 
in that moment, there's somebody there who's done something that needs your forgiveness. And when we think about the perfect Christmas, when we think about this picturesque, ideal Christmas, we often think, oh, it's, you know, every, there's harmony, everybody's getting along, there's a fire, trees, everything's beautiful, no mess. But what if, what if the, the truest Christmas is not the pristine Christmas? What if, what if the best Christmas is the Christmas where not only kindness, but compassion and forgiveness are overflowing? And you know what you need for compassion and forgiveness? You need a mess. Compassion and forgiveness, they actually need a mess to be expressed in. Uh, so my go-to for Christmas gift requests is power tools. So last Christmas, my wife let me pick out my own power tool because she doesn't know what I want. And I got a drill press. I was really excited about this drill press. Do you notice anything about this drill press? It is not open. Like, it's still taped in the box. I didn't retape this just for this illustration. I went out to the garage, found it in its packaging, because for the last 340 days, I've had zero reasons to use a drill press, which is heartbreaking, because I really want to use my new drill press. It's not even new anymore, but I haven't used it, because you need, in order to use a tool like this, you actually need the opportunity, you need it. Like, you need the, the project. You need something to use it on. And here, we've been given this incredible tool in Christ, to be able to forgive people. An incredible opportunity to forgive in a way that the, the rest of the world can't. Because we get to forgive in Christ. Look at what it says here. Just as in Christ God forgave you. It doesn't just say just as God forgave you. It says, he points out how we've been forgiven in Christ. This is super important because when you start to think about forgiving people, you start to think, like real people, real situations, you start to think, wait a minute, if I forgive them, then I'm just going like, to let, let them off the hook? Like, it almost can feel like something wrong is happening there, like there's an injustice that's going to be done in that moment. And in that moment, we're reminded, wait a minute, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm the one who's been forgiven too. Right, it starts there to recognize, wait a minute, oh, no, no, I've been forgiven. So much more. But it doesn't stop there. Because... When we're forgiving people in Christ, we're not just saying like, oh, what they did is no big deal and we're just sweeping it under the rug. No, no, no. When we're forgiving somebody in Christ, just as we have been forgiven in Christ, we're acknowledging that every offense, every fault will be met with the strictest justice. There will be nobody who's left off, no sin that's left off the hook, that's like swept under the rug. Every sin, every offense that's going to happen to you, has happened to you, will be de dealt with with justice. Either, either the wrath of God is going to fall on that particular sin on the cross, where Jesus is going to absorb the wrath of that sin, or the wrath of God against that sin is going to fall on them at the final judgment, but there is no sin, there's no infraction, there's no offense that's going to happen to you where you have to say, wait a minute, if I don't exact justice, justice isn't going to happen. No, 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 because in Christ, justice will always happen. And as followers of Christ, we have that assurance so we can come and we say, just as I've been forgiven of all the mess in my life, I can bring this forgiveness and when I'm in that moment, when I'm walking into this, this family Christmas, this is not an obstacle to Christmas. This is, the, this is an opportunity for the truest sense of Christmas. Because that's what, that's what Christmas is about, right? There's only one, one community, one family unit that is 
free of mess, right? And that's like the Trinity. I don't know if we call it a family unit, but the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perfect harmony, right? There's lots of kindness, but there's no need for compassion because there's nothing lacking. There's no need for forgiveness because there's no faults. The Trinity, there you go. And on Christmas, what do we celebrate? We celebrate the Trinity staying all together and avoiding the mess. No. On Christmas, we watch the Trinity conspire so Jesus enters into our mess to bring kindness and compassion and forgiveness. And when you experience that messy family drama, that is not you, uh, something getting in the way of your Christmas. That is an opportunity for you to, to do Christmas, to, to live like Jesus, to, to bring these things out. Use these, these tools that he's given you that you get to forgive. This is good. Right? And I'm not saying we celebrate the mess as good. But no, we celebrate that God's grace can abound in the midst of that mess, and it can abound through you. And look at, look at how he ends this. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I love this. A fragrant offering. And when we step into that mess and we come with our tools, we come with kindness and compassion and forgiveness. We smell good. <laughs> it's a fragrant offering. It's the, the fragrance of Christmas. And I, I can't tell you that you kind of being forgiving and compassionate and kind is going to make the mess go away. Right? I can't promise you that just because you forgive the people in your family that they're going to respond in kind and that it's going to all get cleaned up. I can't promise you. By the way, just, just a little note, um, you forgiving the people in your life does not mean you like verbally saying like, hey, I forgive you. Because that is probably one of the most passive-aggressive things that you could do that is like really like, they're like, you forgive me? You're the problem. Like, it's, when I say forgive people, I mean in your heart. <laughs> Act like it. And there might be some people where you need to verbalize it. Uh, but, but when I talk about forgiveness, it's that, that treating them, loving them, engaging them in a relationship as if that offense never happened. And as you do that, there's something about you that's going to smell sweet. And they might not be able to put their finger on it. They might not be able to like, oh, I know what's going on. But they're going to notice. They're going to be like, man, there's something going on here. You... You smell good. You smell like Jesus. And all of a sudden, the glory of God is just oozing out of you into your family. You want to talk about a magical Christmas? That is a magical Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we are so just humbled and grateful that you in your mercy and your kindness were willing to, to meet us in the midst of our mess and bring your kindness and your compassion and your forgiveness. God, that we get to, to be set free, that your, your anger, your wrath against us is been redirected to Jesus so that we get to have just peace and harmony with you, God. Is, it's amazing. We know that started on Christmas. And you've called us into this, this opportunity to be like you, 
to live like you in love, to let that same aroma just waft off of our bodies, God. So I pray that your, your spirit would be doing this work in us. That even now, we're starting to think about those relationships, those people that have hurt us, those issues that are, we're, we're still holding on to. God, and that your, your, heart, your spirit is softening our hearts, giving us the power to forgive, to be compassionate, to be selfless, so that the, the fragrance of Christmas, the aroma of Jesus will be brought into the inevitable messes that we're gonna go into, God. And that like Christ, we would not avoid the mess, but that we would we'd go in armed with kindness and compassion and forgiveness. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name.